Welcome to the Aftershock podcast. We chat about cancer, the word you never want to hear. I remember every day I was like, when can I get out? Like, when can I get out of here? I was like, I'm like oh, I don't know if you're getting out. <laughs> but, yeah. The Aftershock podcast speaks to a variety of people that have experienced the ripple effect of a cancer diagnosis. Join us as we explore stories of lost loved ones and speak to those who have lived experience with the disease. I'm Susie Neat. And I'm Kim Landy. And this is the Aftershock Podcast. Those who have walked someone they love through a cancer diagnosis face their own set of challenges. Adrian Bryan lost his wife Lauren after six long and courageous battles with cancer, her first occurring at just 14 years old. No one imagines being widowed in their early 30s, and it's not something often talked about. When we think widower, we think someone with a walking frame. But this was Adrian's reality, and today he has bravely agreed to share his story. And like all good love stories, we had to take it back to the beginning. At a party. Here's Adrian kicking things off with the first time he saw his future wife at a party. Uh, way back when. So it was it was a 21st, actually. Um, and I was invited through a friend um, and Loz was there and it was one of those kind of glimpse out of the corner of the eye, kind of see her across the room and I was like, oh, she looks pretty cool. She had kind of short, like blonde hair and she's pretty alternative back in the day and I was like, oh, she's a bit interesting. I might talk to her. Didn't really talk to her, just kind of maybe said hello at this party Um, and then, of course, it turned out we had mutual friends um, and, yeah, I had um, really close friends that knew her quite well from um, a camp that they used to go on together. Um, and yeah, they were like, oh yeah, she's really cool. Yeah, she's really cool. And then, um, and then we realized we went to the same uni. So we, yeah, caught up at uni um, straight after that. And I was sort of sitting at one computer and she was sitting at the other computer. And I was like, hey, you're there. I just saw you at the party. Um, and then we, uh, it was sort of went from there, to be honest. How did the topic come up because Loz had cancer before you met how did it how did that conversation go Uh, that's a really interesting I've never really thought about that before because I I guess I knew because when I was talking to those mutual friends they obviously told me oh you know, Loz has had cancer and, you know, she's a fighter and she's a champion. I think she'd beaten cancer twice or three times by that stage, by the time we met. Um, so she had a rep, guys. She had a rep in, in the cancer <laughs> circles. Um, and so, yeah, people had mentioned it to me. Um, but then I don't, I don't really remember having that conversation like with Loz and just going, hey, tell me about this cancer. Yeah. I think it was uh, it's probably just – this presumed kind of knowledge that I kind of knew and she didn't have to tell me. Um, But I do remember asking questions about it at at some point in our relationship and getting really, this is so bad because I was getting really frustrated because I was trying to like ask her, so tell me about it and like, you know, give me the whole chapter of, um, of where it went and where it started. And she couldn't, really tell me and and I was like what do you mean you don't remember like and she was like I just don't remember and I was like hang on so you had it once here and then when you were 14 and then it came back again but like what happened between there and then I don't know 
I, I was sick. I remember being sick. I remember, you know, d- going back to uni for a bit and then having to go back to hospital. So it's almost like she just like blocked out all of that shittiness, to be honest, like all of the stuff, you know, all the doctor's appointments and the crap and the, and the telling of family and like, she, cause I kept saying like, what, what did they, do they used to come to your appointments? She's like, yeah, they came and I told them not to come. And like, she just blocked it out. It was really weird. And so I was getting frustrated. I was like, just tell me, tell me like more about it. I don't understand. <laughs> she was getting more frustrated. Going, I just don't remember. I was like, okay. It seems like something you would remember. So I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it's so difficult to remember, but she obviously had her reasons and, and was- a survival thing. Well, yeah, maybe. And was happy to just talk about the future, like moving on. Didn't really want to dwell on it. Didn't want to talk about it and remember it and- drag it up for the new boyfriend she was just sort of well yeah I had it and I'm I'm moving on um let's hope it doesn't come back obviously it blossomed um and you got (laughs) married how was her health after that we had this so the around the time we got married was in the sweet spot essentially um so this is so when I met Loz she'd beaten cancer for the third time and she'd had a um her own cells put back into her like her uh, like her own cells donated back to her and to try and generate um better blood cells Um, that was obviously unsuccessful and then the cancer came back and then they did a donor um a donor cell transplant after that so um once that was done um like we did have a good period um, through there where she was pretty well. Um, but it was always kind of with any transplant, um, there was complications and, um, you know, that the medication she had to take, you know, just seemed to increase um, and all the little problems became big problems. But, yeah, certainly once we got married, there was this glory period of like where we the hospital visits kind of stopped and, um, there were just the normal, normal checkups and, you know, she was in this, she was never told she was in remission, but clearly you know, there was a nice gap here. Um, and that was great. And, you know, we made advantage of that and we traveled and, um, you know, we did some really good stuff. We set up our life with a house. Um, we renovated a house, um, in Adelaide. Um, and it was all kind of, you know, um, away we go. Um, yeah. So, so things were pretty good through that period. Um, and then and then when we moved to Melbourne, um, you know, everything was good um, for a period of time. And, and so we moved from Adelaide to Melbourne um, and Loz got a teaching job and was loving it. Like that was her favourite job. She was, had got a great school here in, in Melbourne um, and they loved her and she loved the school and it, uh, everything was great. Um, and then... She went for one of her normal checkups um, and they were like, oh, we've just got something that's a little bit of a concern. We just want to check it out, um, you know, see what that is. And we were like, oh, this is annoying. Um, And I remember Loz being just a bit rattled not the word, like because it was always just, you know, if it comes back, you know, we'll do what we can again. But by that point, you know, four times she's wits end kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. She's had enough. And, and that, and that had just kind of rattled her. 
And so I remember it being a little bit, trying to be the stoic kind of lozer and like, that's all going to be fine. Everything will be fine. Um, and then they were like, oh, uh, you know, she's had um, Hodgkin's um, four times and and then we obviously went into an appointment and the doctor was like, oh, you've got breast cancer. And we were like, how does that even happen? Like that's surely mm. that's not, doesn't happen to one person. Um and they're like, oh, look, this happens from the radiation you might have got when you were 14 for the first bout of cancer, which is like a double whammy. It's like, thanks, guys. Yeah. So she was pretty upset. Um, and that the last time was very different because there was a more of a physical um, change for Loz. So the four times previously, you do the chemo, you do the, the transplant, um, it's all shitty and, you know, it's gross and you guys know that, that it's just not a, not a good time for anyone and it's tough, tough, tough and you lose your hair and that was always a big thing for Loz, you know, not because she's vain, just because yeah, you know, it, it showed people that she was sick. But the breast cancer involved a mastectomy and that was I thought it's something that I probably uh, I didn't I underestimated it a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Of course I did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I guess with everything else, it was just, yeah, no worries. We just go and beat it and we go and do it. But this one was very much like, hang on a minute, you know, you're going to have to take both breasts off at that time. Um, they started with just one. They didn't get to the second one. Um, but that for Loz was just like, uh, like this is just like as a female, mm. that was really confronting for her. And I, di- I don't think she really – expressed that to me as clearly as probably she was feeling it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I think that was particularly hard for her. Um, obviously she did it and she powered through and she was like, yep, no worries, off we go again. But I remember that being pretty – and like we were, you know, when we found out, we texted you know, our friends and we're like, you know what, you won't believe it, you know, breast cancer and you know, we're going to have a little loan – a little Angelina, because I think Angel, you know, Angelina Jolie had just had it done at the time or something, yeah. and you know, we're trying to kind of make it like you know it's going to be okay. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was sucky. <laughs> and how did your friends um, go supporting you through that? Did any could anyone relate to that, or was it a bit tricky? Yeah, it was a bit tricky because um, not really, uh, no one could really relate to that specific kind of um, cancer and, and and again, happening to someone, you know, reasonably yeah. young. You know, I think we've known a few people that had breast cancer um, that were a bit older. But so, yeah, and for close, close friends and she's got, she had lots of great friends and they became combined friends of my friends and her friends. But, you know, her close friends, you know, in times like that, you know, they're the, they're the heroes. Were there particular little things that really got to Loza. I know for me and mum, she spent a lot of time in the rehab part of the hospital and the smell alone was just like, I struggled driving past, let alone God forbid ever having to step foot in there. Like that kind of stuff. Mm. I know no one warned me about like that a smell could affect you so much and that kind of thing. Absolutely. There was lots of those things and particularly for Loz because 
she had cancer quite young and so she was in the children's hospital, you know, when she was 14 um, and then I think by about the third time or maybe even the second time it was, oh, you're too old for the children's hospital so you go straight to the regular hospital um, and the regular hospital sucked because it was um, crammed in a room with, you know, sometimes three or four other people um, and they were old um, and they were stinky um, and, you know, they were screaming in the middle of the night um, and, you know, that, that became, you know, a little bit of a campaign for laws around um, you know, the stuff the Sony Foundation is doing now, which is around, um, you know, teen cancer centres because, you know, she, had, she started that conversation at the Senate um, with Canteen and it became a bit of a, um, a thing for her because ugh, that was, you know, do, having to do, go through what you're going through is shitty yeah. enough and then you got to do it where you're surrounded by people that you can't relate to, you're surrounded by older people, the nurses are not cool, nah. <laughs> you know, they're old um, and, you know, it was – and it was things like that. It was like, oh, hey, it was – she had a good nurse, which is – she had a lot of good nurses and then there were some that would just be like – Oh God! Like I've got the I've got the shitty nurse, yeah. Um, or the doctors in particular, she really struggled with. I'm sure no cancer patient likes their doctor, um, but she hated all of them, <laughs> um, and she really wasn't afraid to tell them a lot of the time as well. <laughs> she was just, you know, they're never giving you good news. That's never good. But of course, the way they sometimes deliver it. Um, they've got yeah. a lot of them just didn't have any warmth. They didn't understand that she was young and what this was going to mean for her. And it meant putting her back in the hospital with the old people. And, um, they just didn't, they didn't care. Mm. And yeah, they just didn't factor that in when they go, you know, we're going to send you off to do chemo. No worries. Go to the seventh floor and sit with a 90 year old lady next to you and you'll be fine. So it was Stuff like that. Whereas now I see the cancer centres the Sony Foundation has put together and they're incredible and they're young people's places and um, they've got PlayStations. Yeah. And, um, you know, they've just done such an incredible job and, um, and yeah, I wish that was there when obviously Loz was going through it. I think it would have made a huge difference mm-hmm. for just how she handled it and how she could have her friends there and stuff like that. So was Lauren able to continue working through chemo or did she have a rest? So that was always one of the most incredible things for me. Like because she loved it so much and she loved teaching, she loved the kids, you know. She often had the younger kids and, um, you know, I I couldn't think of anything worse. (laughs) Um, But she (laughs) loved it. Um, And so she rarely took time off or a day off or anything right through the whole thing. You know what they say with the chemo, you got to be careful mm. and infections and all that. She's just turning up with 30 kids in her class the next day <laughs> with snotty noses and just being like, yeah, cool, no worries. I'll, I'm happy to go to work. I'm like, darling, maybe you should wow. just, you know, just take it easy. And But there was no taking it easy and there was no um, – I think it was a – it was as much a kind of a mental game. Like for her it was like as long as everything is happening normally – there's nothing happening going on with the cancer. (laughs) That's what it felt like to me. It was like if I can act like my life is as normal as possible, um, then it's not really there (laughs) and it's not affecting my life and it's not existing, you know, and making it hard for me, which it was, but she did everything she could to just try and minimise the impact on the rest of her life. I remember remember the last 
in, in the last batch um, of chemo, um, we were going to Tasmania to visit some friends um, and we stupidly decided to go on that boat, like the... Oh, the spirit of Tassie. Oh, what were we thinking? <laughs> like, we thought it was going to be an experience. You know, it's clearly not great, but she, she literally had chemo the day before and then we get on this freaking oh boat for nine hours and go across the Tasman <laughs> um, and I was sick and she was like chemo oh, no. sick and seasick and I was oh, like, no. what have we done? This is dumb. Um, but again, no complaints. It was like, cause I said, Oh, do you want to rearrange your chemo or something? And maybe can you put it off a week? She's like, no, 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 we'll just do it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, get it done. So it seems like Lauren, who was going through an incredible amount of treatment at that time was pretty determined to keep life as normal as possible. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what life looked like for you and Lauren at that time? Well, um, certainly when she had the transplant, um, that was four weeks, uh, in hospital in a bubble essentially. Um, and you know, that was obviously a huge interruption because the thing with Loz was she wanted to be in and out of hospital as fast as possible (laughs) because the longer you're at hospital, the sicker you're getting. And if you're in hospital, you're surrounded by sick people. So I've got to get in and I've got to get out as quick as possible. Um, and I guess the two, the two hard things for that were, you know, when she had that transplant, um, you know, they were like pretty clear. It's going to be four weeks. You're going to be in. Um, and even then she was like, what's the shortest amount of time someone's done it in? <laughs> and they were like, they were like, Oh, I don't know. Like we shouldn't put a time limit on it. You know, we should just, you know, it'll, it'll take how long to no, seriously. Like how long, like what's the shortest time that I can be in here? Do you think? And like, once again, no, nah, no, nah, look, it's just I reckon I can do it in four weeks. And they're like, oh, we'll be surprised. You know, we've, oh, geez, there's complications. And I swear to God, like 30 days on the knocker, she's like, I'm good to go. Let's get out of here. You know, she just could not wait to get out of there. Um, and I think that was, that was, well, that was definitely the hardest yeah, part about the end because it was like she just ended up in hospital and it was like, you know, they were like, oh, you know, like you'll get better and we just got to get through this a little bit and, you know, once we get your breathing right again, it'll be fine. And, you know, I remember at the same time, I was like, I've got to get out of here, you know, I've got to get out of here. And I was like, you can't get out of here, darling. It's, you know, it's pretty, pretty bad. And there, and, and I remember every day it was like, when can I get out? Like, when can I get out of here? I was like, I was like oh, I don't know if you get me out. Yeah. Adrian was right. Lauren wasn't able to make it out this time and passed away at the age of 32 in hospital with complications related to cancer. So Adrian, how did you pick yourself up after losing Lauren? I tried to keep um, consistency with some things. So as I said, I, I almost just disappeared and you know went overseas and um, that was going to be my great solution. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> oh, I'll solve this. I'll just go away and yep. that will fix it. Um, and a few people were like, yeah, you could probably just fix it from here like you don't have to be on top of a mountain somewhere um you know 
meditating in the pool. In, 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 in <laughs> the pool which obviously, that's where I was going, Kim. I was like, yeah, no, I was going to the pool. I just don't want yeah. anyone to talk to me. Um, so, yeah, I tried to keep, and I think that's what actually worked for me. I mean, I know it's different for everybody, um, but if I didn't have the career and the job that I had, which I loved um, and, you know, and, and they were so accommodating and I, I could still do it in my time and come back and um, I was very fortunate, again, of just having flexibility around that. And then I could – even my move to Adelaide, they were like, oh, do you need to get back to Adelaide? And I was like, yeah, I do. And they're like, all right, well, let's – you know, let's work out what that is going to look like. And I was like, oh, guys, you, you did that for me? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So, you know, that helps you get back quicker mm. because you've got this kind of, you know, that people are looking out for you. Um, so for me, I think it was um, take the time and I did take the time. I probably didn't take as much time in reflection as maybe yeah. what I needed um, to really, like, get a grip. But I was scared that if I take that time, then I just won't recover. <laughs> you know, mm. If you take too long, then I'm just I'll, I'll disappear and I'll um I won't I'll get too comfortable in the in the sadness. And um, mm. I don't think you can afford to really do that. Um, it's nice. It's really nice to have this, you know, excuse to be all woe is me and um, I'm sad every day and um, I just want to curl up in one of Loz's quilts that she used to make and just drink tea and, you know, look at the photo album. <laughs> like, you can only really do that for, uh, you know, for some time before you got to go, nah, let's get, let's get moving. And there's no manual, there's no process, there's no time on grief. I mean, we get prepared for so many things in life, but no one talks about death yep. or you know, gives you a manual or knows the right things to say. I know we had some, well, I personally had some weird comments, not weird, just dumb comments come my way and, oh, this happens for a reason and all that bullshit, which just people just don't get. Um, did you have much of that? Yeah, 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 100%. Um, you know, there was, uh, it was really obvious a lot of the time that, People are searching for those cliches um, when they talk yeah. to you and they don't really know what to say and they'll say things like, um, she's in a better place, um, you know, she's <laughs> not in pain anymore. Um, I get it, you know, people don't know what to say but I would straight away be like, no, you don't get it, like she wanted to be here. <laughs> she didn't want to be in a better place, she loved here and on the yeah. earth <laughs> and hanging out with her friends and doing all the things and um, so that I didn't, didn't – make me angrier but it just made me go they don't understand they don't get it yeah which is totally fair of course they don't it's almost envious like i, I wish i didn't get it yeah and no mm. uh, totally and <laughs> i'll never forget at the wake <laughs> somebody came up to me and they were like you know i'm so sorry to hear and you know obviously devastating and i'm really sorry for you and you know, it'll be okay and, you know, everything will buy, it'll be all right and, um, you know, you'll find someone else. Uh, and their face wow. just dropped. As soon as they said it, their, fa their face just like, you could tell they were like mortified. They were just mortified. And I was like, it's okay. Like, don't worry, don't feel bad. But like they didn't even, it just came out. They didn't obviously mean it. They <gasps> certainly didn't have any intention. But you could tell it was just in that moment they were panicked and they were just like, yeah. 
And, and then they came up to me after, and I just want to apologise. I'm that was I'm not I didn't mean to say it like that. I meant to say that it's going to be okay. And one day down the track, it, I didn't mean to say it at the wake. I was like, it's okay, it, it's okay. Like honestly, it's fine. Um, yeah, but they just don't know what to say, and um, yeah, that's that's really hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I think my personal experience with grief is like a lot of people. I'm pretty fresh in it still, but um, a lot of people have just expect that your grief finishes after a certain period of time like it's Mm. like on a timeline like yeah six months she's had six months like don't need to talk about it anymore and yep grief is just so surprising to me like it it just hits you like a rock some Mm. days Mm. and it could be the smallest thing as well so a bit of a tangent but it's amazing how if I bring up, talk about my mum, people are still quite surprised in that. I, I really love talking about her. Like I'm not, of course. I don't, yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful thing and I want her to live on. But a lot of, if you haven't been through it, I don't think a lot of people understand that idea as well. I mean, I am um, fortunate I'm remarried um, to Ash and um, you know, she's incredible and I'm very, very fortunate and very lucky to have someone that understands and just gets gets that as well in, you know, the days that I'm still going to have bad days. I still have them like six days, six years down the track. Mm. And, you know, of course of I course. still have days and we still have, you know, my wedding photo with Loz like in the room and, you know, the yeah. brochure from the funeral still on the fridge and, you know, Ash mm. like obviously, you know, uh, let, lets me have those things and appreciates it and understands and uh, I'm very so fortunate to have to have that now. Um, you know, Loz's whole family was at our wedding. Um, yeah. You know, that's important to me. That's it was beautiful. important to Ash, which is just yeah, just incredible. But um, yeah, the 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 grief. It, it's. I mean, I would say I'm still on some days. I'm still grieving. <laughs> it's like six yeah. six, yeah. and it hits you at times when you don't really. Exp- I got a message last night from Mum. And she's like, oh, the block started on TV, Loz's favourite TV show. You know, we always, like, mm. think of Loz when the block starts. And I'm like, what a random thing. Like, you know, yeah, like, it's so yeah. weird that small things just make people, like, remember and then reach out. Or, you know, I get that all the time. Mm. They're like, oh, just thinking of Loz today because this happened. And I'm like, oh, here I go again. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, who knows when the actual grief process stops or if it ever stops, I don't know. But it's just there's always reminders and it's always there. But you learn to deal with it and you learn to work around it as best you can. I know um, one particular insensitive comment I got my way, I just messaged my dad straight away and I was like, can't believe this. And he was like, ignore them. They don't understand what a real relationship and essentially love is. And yeah. I was like, oh, that gee, that sums it up really yeah. well. Yeah. And I only had my mum for 25 years, but how lucky am I to have had her for 25 years? And anytime I hit that, I'm just like, yep, right. yeah, at least yeah. I had that. Yeah, and that, you try to remember that and you try to um, – you, you, you remember the good times. You have to remember the sad times too, but you kind of find a way to, to work with those. It's funny you mentioned the, the – you're just saying you message your dad. That just reminded me that – it's all the little things that you have to do when someone passes away, which uh, they're all really hard, um, mm. but it's the unexpected things that got me. It was like, yeah. um, mm. you know, I got the death certificate. Yep, I had to see it and visually look at it and whatever, and that was hard. Yeah. Um, and like oh, so three months after Loza passed away, 
um, they sent her uni results because she was studying her master's in teaching at the oh, time wow. and she, she'd passed her first thing. And, of course, the uni results arrive and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. You know, because no. she was doing that as, as she was kind of studying. Um, and the phone, like I had to yep. clo- I had to, you know, close her phone down and close her phone number down. And, yeah, I think I was like – I was having like a day and and I was a bit off obviously and someone was like, Oh what you know, what's the matter? And I was like, Oh close and lost his phone down. And they were like, yeah. What what do you mean? Like what's so bad about that? And I'm like, Well it means I can't text her anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. We we I, had a um, um, similar experience. Like I'm a twin and um so I've been sort of grieving with my brother. Um yep. and he used to call mum every day. And that was his routine. And then as soon as she passed away, obviously he couldn't call her anymore. And and we were just having this conversation the other day of, you know, um, we had to disconnect her phone and he, and he said, you know, like I just loved listening to her voicemail. Like that was yeah. my favourite thing when she passed away. And um, it was so – it's exactly what you said. It's so much harder than you think. She's still in my favourites in my phone. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I, can't, yeah. I would never, ever – Her phone yeah. yeah. doesn't work, but I yeah. can't get rid of it. Like, it's mum. It's mum course my not. phone. It's, yeah. I used to – I lived with mum and dad when she passed away. And every night after dinner, I'd, that was my job. I'd make us a cup of tea and I'd get my two cups out. Mine was on the left, hers was on the right. And then when she was gone, I couldn't do that. And that task alone nearly killed me. Yeah. And I just had to force my dad into drinking tea with me after dinner so I could get my two cups out. And now it's my partner's cup. Like that no one, you don't see that coming and no, no one tells you. And in that moment, you're going to feel like, I read this quote once and it was one person's missing, but the whole world is empty. And that just like, suffocated me mm-hmm. in that random random moment yeah it's always those tiny little moments they're they're the ones um you know this is the thing that they would love to be at <laughs> this is the thing they're missing like why are they missing this they shouldn't be missing this but you know they're uh yeah, that's that's people that don't haven't gone through it don't understand it you don't expect them to nah. what did you learn from Blosser? ha <laughs> Um, I mean, the number one thing would be there's some sort of positive or silver lining in every situation. Um, I don't know how she did it, but she would always find that in even the toughest, shittiest things, there was always an upside. Um, I certainly learnt that. I learnt that, um, yeah, just by kind of, um, like she didn't go like she did. She wasn't making a special effort to be inspirational, but she was, but only by just doing, doing what I guess, um, what she considered was normal, but was probably above and beyond. Um, I don't know how to describe that better, but I guess it's, I guess it's, um, I learned that she, that you, everyone's a bit special <laughs> and in the way that they kind of go about, you know, their own um, lives. And she was particularly special and inspiring without realizing it. And I guess um, other people are like that too. You know, I mean, people look at me and they're like, Oh, you're so inspiring from getting through that. I'm like, but I didn't do anything. 
I didn't do anything. I was just doing my normal thing. Um, I guess it's yeah. lesson in kind of how people perceive you and maybe we should take a bit of that on ourselves and be like, I am pretty proud of how I got through that and, I, you know, that was really tough and um, maybe I should give myself a pat on the back um, because <laughs> that's, you know, not the easiest thing in the world to go through and come out the other side and not everyone does come out the other side and, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, that's what I learned, I think, is that um, – there's, there's lots of people lessons in there. You learn lots about people as well and other people oh, yeah. and how they respond and, how, you know, who are the um, – Who's there for you. Who's there for you, who's still there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there's, there's amazing lessons to learn through there about what really matters and who really matters. And yeah. I, I, I remember having not even – it's not an existential crisis, but it was certainly a – I'm sure you've – had it yourselves, it's just like doesn't even matter. Like my, my favourite saying was just it doesn't even matter because yeah. <laughs> nothing did. It was like, oh, yeah, but, That's uh, so spot on. you know, that, that, that song went to well, – I work in radio. It's like, oh, that song, um, you know, went to air wrong or was the wrong song. I was like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it really doesn't – nothing matters. You guys don't have any – and everyone's making a big deal out of it. Oh, no, oh, God, something bad's going to happen. I was like, it's definitely not. Um, yeah, and your version of bad okay. is very different to my version of bad. Um, so it gives you a, I kept saying a great perspective on yeah, everything. Absolutely. I could almost be a little bit removed, much more I feel than other people can from disasters, because I can be a little bit like, it's not that bad. Um, there's worse stuff that could be happening right now. Hard to do, but um, gives you that perspective very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Adrian for being brave enough to share his story about his incredible relationship with Lauren and her experience with cancer. Lauren fought her battle with endurance, and although she isn't here today, she's left an amazing legacy supporting thousands of young Australians through her work with the Sony Foundation. We know how hard it is to dig up these difficult memories, and we feel very honoured to be able to share these experiences with a wider audience. We're not doctors. We're a couple of women who know how beneficiary storytelling has been for knowledge and healing in our own lives. Our hope is that you won't feel alone in this journey. Whether you're living with the disease or know somebody who is, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them. If there's been anything triggering in this episode, please get in touch with lifeline.org.au or you can find out more information about the aftershock by jumping on the aftershock.org. Until next time, I'm Susie Neat. And I'm Kim Landy. And this has been the Aftershock Podcast.